And I'll just start by reading our text again. We'll go from verse 5, just to get the context. And when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by men. I tell you the truth, they have received their reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not keep on babbling like pagans, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. This, then, is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. Forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For if you forgive men when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. This is the word of God. Now I've got an offer you can't refuse here. I brought this from the dining hall earlier on. Who wants some bread? Some bread! I've actually got some bread here. Anyone? I've got brown and white. No takers? John, I'll have some. Thank you for taking part in this one. Now look, <laughs> near our house, you can have it. Uh, I had to salvage some of it from the food recycling, but it hadn't gone in yet, don't worry. Now, near our house, imagine you can go to the co-op and buy the co-op Simply Value Loaf. Yes. costs 53 pence. Not bad. Now that's less than a bus ticket or a cup of coffee. Small change. So bread is not really a big deal, is it? When was the last time you got down on your knees and begged God for bread? Is this prayer, give us today our daily bread, irrelevant? We've got bread coming out of our ear rolls. Some of us are probably trying to eat less. Some are probably trying to give up bread. Is this prayer redundant? Actually, no. As we're going to find out, I hope, this text is dynamite. Let me just draw back the curtain on sermon preparation, and hopefully this will come up when Steph does it. I want to share one simple question that I learned from somebody else. I ask this every time I approach the Bible. Let's hit it. A big question in big font. What is this text meant to do in the lives of its hearers? Readers. Let's hear it again. What is this text meant to do in the lives of its readers? We sometimes just read for information. But the Bible's written to do something in our lives, every part of it. So what is this, as I was studying this, give us today our daily bread, what's Jesus trying to do here in our lives? Now we've seen this principle already in the first two sessions. We found that the so-called Lord's Prayer does what it says on the tin. It teaches us how to pray. The Lord is teaching us how to pray. We've also found, I hope, that Jesus is doing a lot more than that. Because this prayer is not just teaching us a prayer that you recite. It's changing our lives, as God's word always does when we let it. We've learned that the basis of praying is a relationship with our Father. So Jesus says, don't pray like a hypocrite. 
They're just showing off. They're these fine-sounding prayers that are basically self-promotion. Nor should we pray like pagans. They anxiously pile up word upon word and phrases and repeat themselves, trying to manipulate the gods with many words. Now, none of those are praying to their father. The hypocrites are praying to the audience. And the pagans are praying to God or the gods who really aren't fatherly. Because you've got to sort of try and get them to do what you want. But Jesus' followers' prayers are going to be totally different to all of that. Because we approach God in heaven as our father. And we thought a bit about this fatherhood. Because we all know worldly fathers, and some of our fathers have been like this. They were maybe good men, but they were impatient. Or they were just poor communicators. I know people whose whole kind of psyche has been messed up because their dad criticised them all the time about something. Or that your father was harsh. Or just weak. Or unreliable. Couldn't count on him. Or he's actually absent. You never knew him. Now Jesus is saying the heavenly father, the whole Bible says, is, is the opposite of all those worldly fathers. He's not impatient. He's slow to anger. He's abounding in mercy. He's not a poor communicator. He's the God who speaks. He's not harsh. He's compassionate and tender. He's not weak. He's our rock and strength, a mighty fortress. He's not unreliable. He's unchangeable. Jesus Christ the same yesterday, today, and forever. He's not absent. He is ever-present, an ever-present help in trouble. So that's the Father we come to. And that's the basis of prayer, is the character of God himself and our relationship to him as a good Father. Now that should lift your head up high, shouldn't it? That should change the way you pray. change your posture, the way you think about your prayers. It should actually help you to pray because you're coming to your Father. Now, the first thing we learned was that when we talk to our heavenly dad, the first thing we talk about is the family business. And the family business is kingdom expansion. It's not a shopping list, milk, bread, loo rolls, bacon. It's your name being revered, your kingdom coming, your will being done on earth as it is in heaven. So we learned that the primary concerns, the main things about prayer are God's glory, God's rule, and God's will. <clears throat> so mature praying is learning that it's all about him, not all about you. And that's the foundation. We once did an extension. We doubled the size of our house back in Chessington. And we realised that you spend a lot of time in the ground, they say. You dig out a big trench all the way around, and then they put in this huge thing in, and they pour concrete. And that you, you spend all this time and money in the ground just laying the foundations. Because if they aren't good, the rest of the building is going to be rubbish and unreliable. But this is our firm foundation, our Father and his kingdom concerns. Now then, this Lord's Prayer, primarily changing us, is also going from God and his will and his kingdom right down to Bread. Right out of bread. The most boring, mundane food stuff. I could only give away one piece. And John is still trying to chew it. Sorry, it didn't have any butter on it. So we go from God's kingdom down to bread. Now, some of the early Christian commentators, the early Bible scholars, didn't really like this. Um, it sounded a bit too mundane and a bit too worldly. So they said, bread must mean the Lord's Supper. Or the word of God. They're trying to spiritualize it away. 
But this word that's used here for bread is the same word that's used elsewhere in Matthew's Gospel for bread. And also, to say that we want our daily bread each day is really pointing to a literal meaning. Jesus is saying, ask God for your, your bread. The early Christians over-spiritualized it. They kind of overlooked a simple fact. Our Heavenly Father feeds a sparrow. How much more is he concerned for you, you who bear his image? God really does care for our daily needs. So it turns out, actually, that prayer should involve an element of the shopping list, of bringing our requests and concerns to God. But it's the shopping list that's kind of bathed in the glory of God. Because even when we approach God to ask him for things for ourselves, we do so in the knowledge of his glory and his kingdom. So, what is this text going to do in our lives today? Our daily bread. Let's go on to the next slide. I think that this prayer for daily bread is going to lead us through five things. It's going to show us how dependent we are on God, which leads to humility, which leads to trust, which leads to confidence, which leads to gratitude for our dependence on God. And I want to move through those five things as we do. Firstly, dependence. Complete dependence. When we pray, give us today our daily bread, we're acknowledging that everything we have is a gift from God. Everything we have. And we can take the details of our lives to him. And we can even talk to him about food. But not just food. Let's see this. Here's a technical word. Bread is a synecdoche. And in the synecdoche, the part represents the whole. So here's an example. I'm in the market for a new set of wheels. I'm in the market for a new set of wheels. Do I just want a set of wheels? What do I want? A car. The part represents the whole. And in the same way, bread in the Old Testament was kind of one way of saying all your, your needs, your food and your material needs, life's essentials, everything that's necessary for the preservation of life. Water, healthy body, home, clothing, shelter, safety, work, food, beer, all that sort of essential stuff. No one's even smiling. <laughs> it means our daily needs, Steve's giving it the amen, our daily needs, the stuff we need to live day by day, we're asking God to protect uh, the existence that he's given us. Now, to think like this, for some of us, maybe many of us, is actually going to require us to change our worldview. Because we, those of us who've grown up in the, in the Western world, have grown up in a world that is dominated by something called naturalism. And in naturalism, the world is a closed system, and it's a physical universe where cause leads to effect. And everything inside it is closed. And there's no room for divine or supernatural intervention. So everything runs like clockwork. And you can explain everything with science. A closed system. And God's got nothing to do with it. And do you know what? Christians tend to think like this too. Because we breathe this in our air all the time. But just listen to the range of things that the Bible says are provided by God. And I think you might be surprised by some of these. Firstly... Wisdom. Wisdom. Isaiah 28 says this. When a farmer plows for planting, does he plow continually? Does he keep on breaking up and harrowing the soil? When he's leveled the surface, doesn't he sow caraway and scattered cumin? 
Doesn't he plant wheat in its place, barley in its plot, and spelt in its field? Look at this. His God instructs him and teaches him the right way. So God instructs the farmer in how to farm his land. God grants wisdom for our work. Secondly, wealth. Deuteronomy 8, Moses is preaching here, reminding the people. And he says, you may say to yourself when you get into the promised land, my power and the strength of my hands have produced this wealth for me. But remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you the ability to produce wealth. And so confirms his covenant, which he swore to your forefathers, as it is today. So if you have the ability to produce wealth, anyone here got that ability? Love to chat to you afterwards. Yeah, you got it from God. You didn't get it from yourself. Thirdly, peace. Here we are from the Psalms. Extol the Lord, O Jerusalem. Praise your God, O Zion, for he strengthens the bars of your gates and blesses your people within you. He grants peace to your borders and satisfies you with the finest of wheat. If we enjoy peace in this nation, it's because God has granted it to us. Fourthly, health. Jeremiah says, I will restore you to health and heal your wounds, declares the Lord. If you're enjoying health, some of you, maybe younger people, you just feel like you're invincible, you know? You young men, you can run and not grow weary. I tell you what, that race of the, of the men yesterday was humbling experience. 43 years old, trailing the pack. Young men are out there, they're not even breaking a sweat. You've got this health, you feel invincible. You know what? It's a gift of God. It could be taken at any moment. He's given it to you. Fifthly and finally, rain. Job, one of Job's counsellors. If it were, I would, I, I would appeal to God. I would lay my cause before him. He performs wonders that cannot be fathomed, miracles that cannot be counted. He bestows rain on the earth. He sends water on the countryside. Did you know that rain is a gift of God? <coughs> Tell you what, preaching this in Manchester is a rebuke. Manchester gets a lot of gifts from God in the form of rain. My wife and I had to stop complaining about the rain after we read this verse. It all comes from God. He makes corn to grow and herbs flourish. Let's see the next one, James 1. Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights, who does not change like shifting shadows. So we've got nothing to boast about. 1 Corinthians 4. Who makes you different from anyone else? What did you have that you did not receive? And if you received it, why do you boast as though you did not? What an amazing thing. What do you have that you did not receive? You receive everything you have. Everything you have, have in life, you acquired from God. Now that's a different way of looking at the world, isn't it? We tend to think that God gives us things like forgiveness, salvation, Christian fellowship, those sorts of things. But when it comes down to me being a good at my job, or having a certain amount of money, well, I did that, really. No, it all came from him. Everything you've got. Now, this is radical. This means we are absolutely dependent on God for our next breath, for the money in our pockets, for our relationships, even for the food on our table. Now, what should this lead to? Next slide. It must lead, if we understand it, to humility. Humility. On one occasion, Bart Simpson uh, was asked to say grace in the Simpsons 
cartoon and he prayed. Dear God, we paid for all this stuff ourselves, so thanks for nothing. Amen. Now that can be our attitude too. But just think about this now. If everything you have today is the result of provision from God, think of the things you benefited from. Your mother gave birth to you and fed you. Your mother is a gift from God. Growing up, you were given food, clean water, a place to sleep, and an education. Those are gifts from God. You were taught to read. Now that immediately puts you in the most fortunate half of the world, doesn't it? You have certain abilities that mean you can do the work you currently do. They were given to you by God. You had certain aptitudes and you could turn them into skills. I was talking to Mike the other night and he told me about this cabinets and furniture and things he can make and build. What a wonderful ability. Do you know what? God didn't give me that one. (laughs) The food that you buy at the supermarket was grown by farmers who relied totally on the sun and rain and the soil conditions and God provided that. Even the order of the natural world, in which times and seasons are predictable and ordered, and things hold together. All of this is sustained by our good and generous God. So, when we pray, give us today our daily bread, we're not denying that people have to work to earn their living, and that farmers have to plough and sow and reap. But it's an expression of our dependence on God, ultimately. He's been showering his love and gifts on you since before you could say, tar. So this means that we're all on benefits. There it is. We're all on benefits. We're all naturally poor and naturally naked. We're all on benefits. This must mean the death of pride, mustn't it? You're no better than anyone else, than somebody who is a homeless person or somebody who, in our culture, people talk about people on benefits. We're all on them. You're the fortunate recipient of gifts from God. Your education doesn't make you better than the uneducated. Your money doesn't make you better than the poor. Your house doesn't make you better than the homeless. You too could be illiterate, poor and homeless. Your Heavenly Father gave you all these things. Now that means also, God doesn't owe you anything. Let's see that. God doesn't owe you anything. When we pray this, we see that God owes us nothing. All our lives we've taken his gifts for granted. And when they begin to dry up, we complain. And we call into question, God, are you there? Do you even exist? But all that we have is from his royal bounty. We haven't got a single pinch of bread without God. So, let's check the wish list. Let's check the wish list. Now, I I use the Amazon website, probably a lot more than I should, to buy books. And on Amazon, if you're browsing for books, you probably know this, you can click something that says, add it to the wish list. And that wish list gets bigger and bigger and bigger over time and then Amazon use it to sort of send you emails saying we were thinking of you and we wondered if you'd like this because it's on your wish list now your wish list could be quite extravagant in life notice that Jesus teaches you to ask for what? what? bread not fillet steak champagne, caviar it's what we need It's not a license for greed. It's a humble request. What are we asking God for? What are you asking God for in your life at the moment? Is it the basic, humble provision for life to continue so that you can keep living for his glory? Or are you asking for a lot more than that? 
because you really want your kingdom to come. Now the next thing that develops when we really start to believe that we're totally dependent on God is <coughs> trust. Trust. Just think for a moment about the sheer goodness of God. How sweet is his nature. He never tires of giving. He delights in giving. Even God gives to his enemies. He sends the rain on the just and the unjust. So this is a father that we can trust. Even in the dark tunnels and the dark places of life. The patches where life doesn't make sense. We can hold his hand in the dark because he gives us everything. And notice too that we ask day by day. Give us today our daily bread. We've got to lean on God every single day. This isn't a kind of pay-as-you-go system. You get £10 and then you just run away and do your own thing until you run out and then come back. Now this is daily reliance. The Israelites in the wilderness had to learn to live one day at a time, collecting the manna that was left for them, not gathering more food than they needed, because it would actually go off if they kept it. It was a lesson in trust. Trusting God for the future. And the other thing that grows out of trust is confidence. There it is, confidence. In 1923, a group of the world's most successful men met at the Chicago Edgewater Beach Hotel. And in the room was the president of the largest steel corporation in America and the greatest wheat trader and a man who was going to be the president of the New York Stock Exchange and a member of the president's cabinet and the canniest investor on all of Wall Street and a future director of the World Bank and the head of the world's largest monopoly. They're all in this one room. Now, here's what happened a few years later. A few years later, this was their fate. Charles Schwab died in debt. Arthur Cutton died abroad, away from home, in obscurity. Richard Whitney became insolvent, did time in prison, and was blotted out of who's who. Albert Ford was pardoned from prison so that he could die at home. Jesse Livermore, Leon Fraser and Ivor Kruger committed suicide. All of them learned how to make money. None of them learned how to live. All of the bulls became lambs. Charles Schwab said this, I'm afraid. Every man is afraid. I don't know, we don't know whether the values we have are going to be real next month or not. So even the most extraordinary wealth and power is not secure. It is unstable, even though it looks so robust from the outside. As Arnold Schwarzenegger said, money doesn't make you happy. I now have $50 million, but I was just as happy when I had $48 million. (laughs) Let me ask you, Thinking about those men who had everything and lost everything. Are you anxious? Are you anxious? Do you, do you worry about money? Do you worry about health? Do you worry about children? Do you overwork? Very brilliant woman who used to come to our church. She worked 70 hours a week. For the last decade, she told me the one reason she worked so hard is fear of being poor. Because of what a childhood was like. So what is this prayer, give us today our daily bread, going to teach us? Let's see the next slide. 
There's this man that uh, one a gentleman here was talking to me about yesterday, George Muller of Bristol. George Muller, Christian man, started working with orphans in Bristol in 1836. By 1870, he was running five homes and looking after more than 1,700 children. Yet Muller never made requests for financial support, and he never went into debt, even though the five homes took a lot of running. On one occasion, they had no food in the entire house, and Muller said, get the children to sit down for breakfast. So they all sat down to these empty tables, empty plates. And then they gave thanks for their breakfast. And as they finished praying, there was a knock on the door. And it was the baker. And he just happened to come at that moment with enough fresh bread to feed everyone, a donation. And then there was another knock on the door. It was the milkman because his cart had broken down in front of the orphanage and he had to get rid of the milk. So he gave it and all the orphans were given their bread and milk for the, for the morning. Now the point of this, if Jesus Christ gave his life for you, can he take care of the rest? Yes. Right? I am convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers height or depth or anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. And this is not a confidence that you will be rich uh, or that you'll always be healthy. And you know that, some of you. It's not confidence that your life will be trouble-free or that your kids are always going to be blue-eyed. That is not promised. But it is confidence that your Heavenly Father can, does and will look after you. He has the power to meet your needs. And if he withholds them for any reason, it's a good reason. He does so out of love for you, even if the wisdom won't be seen until later. been a Christian about 30 years. Seen this time and time again, but funnily enough, I've forgotten it time and time again as well. need to keep being reminded. Give us today our daily bread. And so this leads to a final change of heart. Fifthly, that we have to have hearts that are full of gratitude. And I wonder sometimes if we British people could learn something from our American friends. Because we noticed living in the United States for four years how much more grateful people were. We seem to acknowledge that everything we have came from God, all our gifts. So to him, our praises should return. Nature teaches us to beg for daily bread, but grace teaches us to give praise to God. So let's make sure we do. We should pray. Give us today our daily bread. But I want to ask, close really with a very simple question. Very simple. Do you think that the Lord Jesus would teach us to pray for something that God had no intention of giving? Do you think Jesus plays mind games? He'd teach you to do something, just see if you do it, you know, like the karate kid. Rub on, rub off. You don't know why you're doing it. Do you think Jesus would teach you to pray for something that God had no intention of giving? Of course not. Now what this means is that God wants you to come to him every day and bring your life and all its little details into his throne room. God wants you to bring your request for your life and your little details into his throne room and he wants to hear from you, it must mean this. It's because he cares for you. 
He cares for you. And I wonder actually if, if we all believe that. Or if you once did, but you have forgotten. God cares for you. He wants you to depend on him, to come to him, to ask him for your daily needs. Because he can and will supply them. Why else would he make you ask? But how quickly we forget this. Forgive me for giving a personal illustration. But uh, it's so fresh that I I thought I could share it. I had a dreadful phone call uh, a few months ago. Well, two or three months. Dreadful phone call from our church treasurer. You don't want to get a bad phone call from your church treasurer, Steve. And he'd been looking at the small print and looking at the things. And it wasn't about the church's finances. It was about mine. (laughs) Turned out that we've made an honest but very serious mistake uh, about my tax situation. And it meant that I could be, I will be, we are thousands of pounds in debt. And we don't have the means to pay it. It's just at this moment when our church is growing and we're trying to get new people in and all this stuff. Now, how did this happen? Four years of back taxes. And it led to an awful night. I just felt the clouds had come in on me. I didn't sleep a wink. I was tossing and turning. So that meant Melissa didn't sleep a wink either. I got up at four o'clock in the morning and started writing the finance plan of desperation. Started thinking about things we could sell. You know? Just, have you ever done that? Just desperation. And I started emailing people, asking me for prayer and, uh, and any advice I could get. I, one guy who was in my dad's church, who was a former finance director and therefore an accountant, called me up. He gave me all this advice. You can do this, you can do that, you need to do this. Just put it in some clarity. But he said, then he sent me a text. Don't worry about it, you know, it's going to be okay. And at the end of the text, it's one little simple sentence remember the love of God so I've forgotten all about it remember the love of God so if you remember that why are you worried about your taxes why are you worried about your children why are you worried about the future Remember the love of God. Give us today our daily bread. Let me finish with these words from Romans 8. We know that in all things God works for the good. Those who love him. Who have been called according to his purpose. What then shall we say in response to this? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. How will he not also, along with him, give us, graciously give us all things? And who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies. Who is he that condemns? Christ Jesus who died, more than that, was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble, hardship, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or sword? As it is written, for your sake, we face death all day long. We're considered as sheep to be slaughtered. Now in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loves us. For I'm convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, 
neither height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ (coughs) Jesus our Lord. Give us today our daily bread. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we uh, come to your word, we, we look at things that are so familiar and maybe we're tempted to skim over them. We've just prayed these things so many times, how hard our hearts quickly become and how, how slow we are to remember and quick to forget your many benefits. And we thank you for the very lives that you've given us, for giving us consciousness, for giving us a spirit that was made to sing your praises, for giving us friends, family for giving us fellowship with Jesus and the Holy Spirit within us. Thank you for all these things. And as well as that, we thank you for our daily bread. We love you, Lord. Help us to live for you. In Jesus' name, amen.